Hey. hey. <laughs> Just testing. We're on the beach here at Amelia Island in Florida. Are you having a good time? Watching the the are the, those aren't seagulls. The Jonathan Livingston seagull. Oh man, one of them just flew off to go find his, him a better wife. Oh. There he goes. I've got my uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil book. Are you going to read something? Are you going to read something? Probably. Yeah. It's crazy. I went through this, um, all the sound that's on this audio card. Yeah. And uh, found, like, I heard... Uh, clips of my students from like three years ago. Oh, really? A lot of them are who are like seniors, about to be seniors. Aww. They sound so young. Alright, I just wanted to test this audio to see how it works on the beach, which is really loud. This is with the, with the makeshift windscreen, which is really just this little nylon bag for a lens cap or a lens and this is without the windscreen oh my gosh wow that makes a real difference wow your husband's very smart well i forgot my windscreen at home and so i had to make make do with one and i was basically just going to get some paper towels but i found this lens bag in here so it works just as well so i'm very proud of myself okay all right bye about a quarter after midnight right now on a Thursday evening I guess Friday morning and uh, I'm a much wiser man than I was about two hours ago <laughs> yeah we uh, my wife and I got back to our hotel room um a little while ago and you know we had had a whole day we we drove uh from savannah georgia to down here to amelia island florida which really isn't that bad of a drive it's about a two-hour drive so the drive wasn't bad at all the travel days the travel day not at all bad but we've you know been out all day driving around the island because we only have one night here now, we've been on vacation all week long and uh, in Savannah, Georgia, um, visiting my mother-in-law and going around and seeing the sights and just having a good time. And um, we decided that we wanted to extend it a night, as we often do on vacations. We, we, we're just having too good of a time. 
and my wife and I like to be spur of the moment on our vacations, and we just kind of look around and, you know, is there anything else we can do, any, any place nearby that we can go? And we looked at this place called Amelia Island, Florida, and I was, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with Amelia Island. I've been here once before with my family in uh, 1995, I believe it was. So, uh, quite a long time ago. That was like, what, 27 years ago? Is that right? 2005, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That's 26 years ago. Right. So, I virtually really remember nothing about that trip at all. I remember uh, being in the hotel a lot. But it was okay because we were at this... uh, basically full service hotel um it was right there on the beach and you know they had a pool and they had a television so that's pretty much all you need when you're like 12 years old and you're at the beach um so i looked at amelia island with my wife the other day just to on the idea that maybe we would leave savannah thursday morning and it would only take us two hours to drive down to Amelia Island. Then we've got like the whole day to explore. And then we'll, you know, kind of check out of whatever hotel we stay in uh, the next day. And uh, explore a little bit more of the island. Maybe go to the beach or something before we disembark on our seven-hour drive back home to Birmingham, Alabama. And so I started looking at hotels, and I found this one really nice hotel, the, the one, uh, the balcony of which I'm sitting on right now. It's called the Florida House Inn, and it had a lot of really good reviews. Um, you know, when you're going to pay money for a hotel, you do want to read reviews, and a lot of people seem to like it. A lot of people seem to say that it's haunted. It is indeed. Well, it, it says on the website that it's like the oldest uh operating hotel in florida (laughs) and i have no way no way of knowing if that's true or not oldest not oldest hotel but oldest operating hotel like so it's been continuously operating for something like 180 years or whatever in in florida you know everything claims to be the oldest this the oldest that because you know you've got saint augustine florida which i believe is the oldest um settlement in the states i believe that's right right settled by the spanish and something like 1500 whatever you know so there's a lot of old you know places that purported to be the oldest like the oldest operating hotel uh the oldest operating like lighthouse fire station pizza parlor i don't know (laughs) veterinary clinic you know everything so anyway, we're, we're staying at a place that uh, claims to be the oldest operating hotel in America. Did I say Florida? No, America, like all of America. Okay, so... Uh, and so, they, you know, they, of course they claim that it's haunted, and my wife and I were intrigued because, uh, you know, my wife kind of believes in that stuff. I really don't. It just makes me paranoid. The idea that ghosts could exist. I don't really want to do anything to, like, irritate them. <laughs> um, so we... Uh, <laughs> this is a very long story, but whatever. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. And by the way, this is the Midnight Citizen Show you're listening to. I'm your host, Mike Booty, uh, doing a uh, field show here. 
talking about my travels uh, this week through Georgia and, you know, northeastern Florida, right? So, yeah, we, we come back after a very long day. We end up going to the beach. Uh, two beaches, actually. We go to the one beach that we end up laying on and, you know, we play in the ocean a little bit and we, you know, sit there and read our books and all that. And, and then we decide to go to another beach and just walk on it for a really long time. We had a really nice time. We, you know, then we went and ate pizza, not at the oldest operating pizza parlor, <laughs> but just a pizza parlor, you know. And uh, we came back here. We go into our room. We're kind of settling in. And uh, I tell my wife, you know, I'm about to go out and, um, you know, have a cigar and probably, uh, you know, do a podcast. This is a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks. Oh, my gosh. A couple of hours ago. Okay. Like I said, it's been a very long day. And uh, excuse my uh, my fragmented speech, but. So I tell my wife, I'm just going to go to the bathroom first, okay? So I go into the bathroom and everything goes okay in there. Um, and then I use the sink and the sink starts, uh, notice it's not draining, right? So uh, we've got a clog. And normally in any other hotel, this isn't really such a big deal. You know, you go to the front desk or you call the front desk. Cause there's usually a phone in your room and... Uh, you know, you uh, you get somebody to help you. You know, you get maintenance to help you or whatever, and they come up and they take care of it. No problem at all. It's a little bit inconvenience, but ultimately no problem. Well, this hotel, there's no phone in my room, so I can't call the front desk. So I have to, uh, you know, put my shoes on, and I, I, I go down to the front desk, go down the stairs. There's no elevator, so I go down the stairs. And I go to the front desk, and the front desk, there's a big closed door it's closed. There's nobody there. And uh, I start searching around in the hotel for somebody, and literally nobody is here. This this is uh, just basically one big house. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, rooms, and there's a front desk. That's the only place. The front desk is the only place where somebody who works in the hotel, you know, might be at midnight. And uh, so here I am, you know, with a plumbing issue in a single, you know, bedroom suite with only one with only one bathroom. And uh, there's nobody to help me. OK. So there's I look on the I look on the window, of the office door. What happens if I have an emergency? So thankfully, there is a number for after hours emergencies. Please call Ernie and they give Ernie's number. I'm almost willing to give Ernie's number out on the podcast right now so you can call him, but I'm not going to do that. I'm so mad at Ernie right now because I get Ernie's voicemail and the voicemail is full. So not only does he not answer the phone, but uh, the voicemail is full. Uh, I text him. I get no reply back. Meanwhile, I'm still calling him over and over again, basically trying to just get him to pick up. And all the while I'm doing this, by the way, I'm searching every square inch of this hotel for a for a plunger because I, I just want to take care of this problem myself. So, you know, I could just go out <laughs> and have a cigar and do a podcast. Right. So I'm searching every square inch of this hotel. And meanwhile, I'm thinking that this hotel is supposed to be haunted. 
So I'm kind of nervous, you know, if this were, I mean, it really does feel like the shining, you know, I'm searching through like a big empty hotel. There may be other guests staying here, but I have not seen anyone. It's just my wife and I, I'm making so much racket that I would expect somebody to come out and tell me to be quiet, but nobody does. And, uh, whoa, there's a bar next door. The bar will come into the story in just a minute, by the way. So I, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm like walking through this hotel and meanwhile, I'm opening up all these doors, trying to find like some kind of a maintenance closet where like a plunger might be. Uh, every door is locked except for one. I open this one door and, uh. It's not a maintenance closet. It's a gigantic bar and restaurant. <laughs> Again, it's like in The Shining. I go into this gigantic bar and this restaurant. There is a big empty bar area with every single kind of liquor right there in front of me. Like I almost want to like touch a bottle just to see if it's real. And I almost expect like Lloyd the bartender to be like sitting there ready to like pour me you know, like a, a bourbon or something like that, which I gladly would have accepted because I'm not, I don't think I'm an alcoholic like Jack Torrance, but I am a teacher. Like Jack Torrance was a teacher, right? I know he wanted to be a writer, but he was a teacher first and foremost. And I think most teachers want to secretly be writers. Anyway, I know I do. So... I'm really surprised that every single door in this hotel is closed except this gigantic bar and restaurant. So I start searching the bar and restaurant, opening up doors in there. I go into the bathroom, the men's bathroom, the women's bathroom. There's no plunger to be found. I go into the kitchen area like I go into the grill area. Major health code violation, I'm sure. Just looking for a plunger. I'm thankfully there's no plunger there. That would have been really disgusting if there was a plunger in like the uh, the kitchen. And then I find the maintenance area. I find I find the maintenance room with like a washer dryer, all the linens, the clean and the dirty linens, all the stuff for cleaning the bathrooms. There's no plunger there. And all the while, I'm kind of like, my senses are really opening up. And I'm just kind of like starting to get really paranoid. Because, again, I, I do not really believe in ghosts. But I'm not also, I'm also not ruling out the possibility that they could exist. Okay. So my senses are like opening up. And I'm just walking all over this hotel room. And meanwhile, by the way, you know, my wife is just kind of like waiting around. And really kind of paranoid about staying in this room because, like, at the sink is, you know, plugging up. God knows what else could happen with our plumbing. And, you know, we would like to clean ourselves, take a shower. You know, we're covered in sand and grime from a day of going to the beach, not to mention, you know, driving around. And it's very hot here in Florida. I mean, it's, you know, mid-July. It's, like, humid as all get out. We're just covered in all sorts of everything and <laughs> we just need to take a shower you know but we got to get this issue solved first and you know every once in a while I'm picking up the phone I'm calling Ernie there's no reply at all his mailbox is full 
I text him again. I say, Ernie, I'm not mad. <laughs> Just please call me. Just we need your help, please. Okay. So I, I just realized, you know, this, this, there's no plunger in this hotel. There's like all of this liquor, but there's no plunger. So I figure, you know, if I'm going to solve this issue, I'm going to have to like get in the car and just go find a store. So I get in my car and I go down the main drag of Amelia Island going gas station to gas station. None of them sell plungers. I asked them, finally, is there an open grocery store on the island? And they say, no, they're all closed. I'm like, God damn it. And finally, like a mirage on the horizon, I see the signs, the lights of a Walmart. And I'm like, oh my God, if this Walmart is open, I will never say a single bad thing about Walmart ever again. You know, and you may be saying to yourself, like, why are you freaking out over a clogged sink, Mike? It's no big deal. But, you know, I'm freaking out over it because there's no other bathroom in this hotel except the one that's in the closed bar and grill downstairs, you know. And, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you just kind of like expect when you get a hotel, especially for like uh, as much as we paid for it for the night. You know, you would like everything to kind of function properly. And I just do not want to go to sleep with like a clogged up sink, right? So I go to this Walmart and it's open with 10 minutes to spare. I go in and they said like, I don't know if you have time to get anything. We close in 10 minutes. I'm like, tell me where the plungers is and I'll be out of your hair. Okay. So... They, they show me where the plungers are. I check out. I'm like, great, this problem is solved. I've unclogged plenty of sinks before with a plunger. I know exactly what to do. I'm going to go in. I'm going to unclog it. It's done, right? So I come back to the hotel. I go up to the stairs. I go into my hotel room. I say to my wife, like I'm going off to battle. You wait here. And I give her a kiss. <laughs> and I go in there. I make the matters worse. The sink floods, and pretty soon it's over-flooding onto the tile. Pretty soon, the bathroom is flooded. And I'm like, okay, now, genuinely, we cannot stay here for the night. I call Ernie again. No response. I text him again. I'm like, Ernie, I swear, please, whatever you think I'm going to do right now. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I just need your help. Please call me back. Like I'm, I'm praying to St. Ernie right now. You know, the God of the after hours plumbing emergencies, the patron saint of the, of the sink and the toilet and the shower, right? So no response. I tell my wife to abandon ship and we go down into the common area of this dark, silent hotel. (laughs) 
and we're sitting there and my wife all the while is just, you know, she's already started looking for other places on the island. But the thing about being on an island in Florida in the middle of July is that there's no place to stay. Every place is booked up. Okay. While she's doing that, I go out for some fresh air. Just trying to, like, pull myself back together to calm myself down. And I notice that there is indeed a bar next door full of all this bustling activity and all these drunk people and these couples. There's like a couple getting into a fight on the street. And, uh, you know, it's a real towny bar. I don't think there are any locals or uh, I don't think there are any tourists there. It's like a it's like a locals bar. And so, uh, you know, I, I walk over there and I, I go in there and uh, I'm the only one who isn't shit faced. Except for the bartender, and I go up to the bartender and I, you know, tell her what the situation is. We have a clogged sink next door. Do you, by chance, have any contact information for the person who owns the place or the person? I don't even have to finish my sentence. Like, she just puts a finger up in the air. She's like, just give me a second. It's almost like she's saying to me subconsciously or subtextually, you know, this has happened before. Don't worry about it. Actually, it happens all the time. Okay. So, um, she, uh. She goes and gets the phone, and she dials a, a number, and uh, I'm surprised that the phone isn't, like, red or something. Like, she's calling, like, Batman or something like that. And pretty soon this guy, like, this real, you know, bro-looking dude who looks like he just goes to the gym, like, all the freaking time, with the backwards hat comes in, and he says, hey, man, what can I do for you? I tell him what the problem is, and he takes his baseball cap and he like turns it around and you know so it's facing backwards and he's like let's go <laughs> so i follow him next door to my hotel and we go up the back stairs the back way and we go into the back entrance and go into my room and he's just like you wait downstairs with your wife I have no idea who this guy is. It's not Ernie. He doesn't sound like Ernie, right? Ernie sounded in all his voicemails or something like this. Like, this is this is beyond Ernie, you know? This is the guy that you have to call when all other channels fail, right? This is like the vigilante, okay? So my wife and I are waiting down there, and he comes down like five minutes later, and he's like, you're good to go. And uh, I just asked the guy, like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting at any moment for him to just, like, throw down, like, a smoke pellet and just disappear into the ether. And, uh, no, he's like, he's like, uh, I, I was like, do you work for the hotel? And he's like, no, man, I don't work for the hotel. I actually work for the bar next door. And I'm like, well, like, I, I, man, I'm so sorry that you had to, like, leave your job to come over here. He's like, no, man, we just help each other out down here. That's the way it is. I'm like, man, that's that's really cool. I still just think it sucks that, you know, you have to... Like, I would have never, you know, figured out to come over to you in the first place. Like, I had to go to Walmart, and I was trying to solve this problem, you know, by myself for like two hours before I finally got in touch with you. 
He's like, it's no worries, man. Listen, man, I'm going to call the hotel in the morning, try to talk to him about your rate. I don't think you're going to have to worry about it. And then he threw down a smoke pellet and disappeared into the ether. You know. <laughs> Not really, but... Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, the, the way my wife and I came to stay at this place, like, we were just going to stay at, like, a Hampton Inn or a Marriott or something like that. Some place that maybe had a little bit more of a, you know, manageable day rate. But I had all these points on my credit card, you know. You know, there's this guy on uh, there's there's this guy, this financial guru named Dave Ramsey. You know, Dave Ramsey always tells you to uh, not use credit cards. He says credit cards are the devil. When you use a credit card, there's no you know pain associated with with swiping a credit card. You don't have this feeling of like losing money like you do when you pay cash. So just always pay cash. Always use a debit card and all that stuff. But um, I actually find that when I use a credit card, you know, I accumulate all these points and I only, you know, put charges on a credit card that I think that I can afford anyway, that I would be, you know, buying anyway with cash. So, you know, after about a year or so of doing this, I accumulate enough points to, uh, you know, stay the night in a, in a pretty decent, you know, four-star, five-star hotel. And so I realized the other day that my wife and I, uh, you know, when we come down to Amelia Island, we don't have to stay at, like, you know, a Marriott or something like that. Even though those are nice, I'm not knocking Marriott's, but I'm like, we can stay at something, you know, with a little bit more character. So we decide to stay on, like, the oldest operating hotel in America, whatever this place is called, the Florida House Inn, right? So we stay at the Florida House Inn. And the thing about it is, is like when you, uh, next time you're like looking at something and it purports to be the oldest this or the oldest that, you, you have to think about the infrastructure of that, you know? I'm not saying that they're still using like the same pipes that they were in like the 1840s, <laughs> um, you know, but they're still pretty old, Right. So I will definitely think about that next time um, I stay at a place like this. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've. Uh, let me light my. Let me relight my cigar here. It's gone. It went out a long uh, time ago. I don't know. like that bar is closed next door everybody's going home it's quiet yeah when my wife and i got here a few year a few years a few weeks a few months a few hours ago uh from a day of you know beach stuff 
Uh, there was a live band playing out here. They were playing like, um, you know, I don't know, like bar band standards. Like they were playing the Wallflowers, uh, One Headlight. You know, when we uh, pulled up and <laughs> we we could definitely hear like in between songs the uh, the lead singer of the band was like giving trivia. And he was like, did you guys know that uh, the guy who wrote that song, Jacob Dylan, he's Bob Dylan's son? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I said at the beginning of that story that I'm much wiser um, right now than I was about three hours ago before all the business with the sink happened. And uh, you may ask, why is that? I mean, you just dealt with the clogged sink. And you found out that sometimes, you know, you have to go above the law or above and beyond, you know, to fix it. When nobody else is there to help you. That's not really the lesson. Um, the reason I think like I'm wise enough to, to never, ever come to Amelia Island, Florida again. And the reason being is not because, you know, we had this issue with my, our room flooding this time. But the fact that the last time that I stayed here with my family in 1995, the exact same thing happened. Like, I'm not kidding. You know, in 1995, my family uh, came down here to Amelia Island, Florida. Um, my dad had every every summer in late June, early July, uh, my dad had a conference uh, with work that he had to go to. And there was a string of about three or four years there where he would bring us to his conferences. So I remember one year we went to um, San Francisco. I think that was in 1996. And that was the really big trip. We, uh, we, we flew out there and stayed for like a week. Yeah. Um, one year we went to... Uh, uh, New York City. That was the first time I ever went to New York City. So, but 1995 was uh, down here to Amelia Island, and uh, we stayed in a really nice hotel. Like I said, you know, they had a TV, a pool, and a beach. So that's. I don't really remember anything else about that trip other than like going to the beach and laying by the pool and uh, watching a lot of Nick at Night. And I remember also watching Wimbledon. Wimbledon was on television. You know, the big tennis match they have every year. And uh, we stayed in a, in a room on the second floor. And I remember this very well because I, um, I remember uh, I actually climbed. I was uh, 12 or what was it, 1995. So I would have been, you know, 12 going on 13. And I was a little, you know, 12-year-old brat. I was kind of a daredevil, and I loved to do, like, weird things and, you know, climb on trees and things like that. Um, and I realized that there was actually a way for me to climb down to the first floor uh, via, like, a trellis that went up and down uh, the 13-story uh, hotel. Um I don't think, like, the trellis connected every single floor. I think it, like, maybe went two or three stories up, and then there was, like, a gap. There was, like, a little railing, and and, and then it continued. 
So I don't think you could actually get, you know, climb all the way up the 13 stories. But um, but I got on this like trellis and I just climbed down to the first floor. And so I remember that that was like the first day that we stayed there. And my parents got like really mad at me. And, uh, and then I remember our bathroom flooded. I don't know if it was like the sink or the toilet or whatever happened, but our bathroom flooded and we had to move floors and we had to move. Like, I think my, my dad said like to them, you know, can we move to a much higher floor? You know, one where my son cannot, you know, climb all the way down. So we did that. And I, I just think, like, you know, the, these two incidences spaced, you know, 26 years apart. The universe is trying to tell me something. You know, stay away from this place. This place is not for you. Amelia Island, Florida. All you'll find here is heartache. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird trip uh, coming down to Amelia Island with my family in 1995. I did think it was 1996 initially, but I was talking to my sister the other day, my little sister, and she said, no, it was 95 because 96 was uh, when we went to San Francisco. And we we remembered that because uh, that movie The Rock was coming out, you know, that big action movie with like uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage that takes place on Alcatraz. So like that was a really big movie that summer. So like we were talking about going to San Francisco and seeing the rock when it actually opened and then going out to Alcatraz the next day. Uh, We did not go to see that movie because it was like an R rated movie and my parents didn't want me seeing it. Um, Thought I'd be scared or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Amelia Island was 1995, and I remember I had gotten like um, the Olympics were happening the next year in Atlanta, and it was a really big deal. Like the the entire country of America, and especially like you know the South was really excited because you know like um, you know in 1865, you know. General Sherman came down and burned down Atlanta at the end of the Civil War. And a little over a century later, you know, they're having the world's biggest sporting event there. So, you know, it was a pretty big coup for the South. We were really excited. (laughs) Um, And uh, I'd gotten this, like, a toy in the gift shop. Like, uh, my mom had bought me, like, this, uh, like, they, they came out with, like, this mascot uh, for the 1996 Olympic Games, um, it was like a little dot. It wasn't like a stuffed animal. It was like a blue dot or something like that. I don't know what it was, but I think the thing's name was like Izzy or something like that. Is that what it was? Now, what is this thing? Like the, the I've always wondered about this, and it just seems like the the 1996 like uh, Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta are just kind of like the black dog of Olympic games. Like nobody ever talks about them, but when you go to Atlanta, like they want to make sure that you know that they happen there. Like the only thing that people seem to remember about the 1996 Olympic games was the fact that there was a terrorist bombing there. Um, everybody thought it was this like 
fat security guard named Richard Jewell. But it wasn't. It was like this guy named Eric Robert Rudolph who had also like uh, bombed an abortion clinic in Birmingham across from like my favorite restaurant in Birmingham when I was in college. Um, anyway, okay, so like 96. I'm, I'm looking this up on my phone here. and I, I don't normally like to do this. I usually like to do my podcast with like all the information already in my brain. But uh, yeah, I look it up. 96 Olympic bombing. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes up. No, I don't want to know about that. I'm like a, I'm the midnight citizen here. I don't want to know about violent things. I want to know about, you know, like innocent things like mascots. Uh, 96 Olympic mascot. Yeah, there he is right there. His name was Izzy. I didn't know if I had named him Izzy myself when I got that little stuffed animal. Uh, Izzy was the official mascot of the Atlanta 1996 Summer Olympics, initially named What Is It? (laughs) What Is It? At its introduction at the close of the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. Because, yeah, every year at the end of the Olympics, they announce where the next Olympics are going to be. The animated character with the ability to morph into different forms was a departure from the Olympic tradition in that it did not represent a nationally significant animal or human figure. Yeah, it was just like a thing <laughs> created by John Ryan. Izzy. That's funny because I have a dog named Izzy. I have a basset hound named Izzy. Oh, and there's that cute little... I mean, he's a cute little thing. There he is posing with <laughs> Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. <laughs> yeah. So I had this little stuffed animal uh, that was the 1996 Olympic mascot named Izzy. And uh, I remember I had that thing and I was just kind of, kind of, you know, got it as like a souvenir, even though it didn't really represent a souvenir of my trip down here to Florida. You know, but nevertheless, it represented like a, you know, an important period of time in American history, which is, you know, the 1996 Summer Olympic Games. And those Olympic Games were held all over the place. And I don't know if the the games are generally like this wherever else they are. Um, But they were kind of held all over the South, like not just in Atlanta. Like Atlanta was the home base, but um, they had events all over the place. Like um, they had kayaking and and stuff like that um, on the Ocoee River, which is, you know, runs outside of Atlanta. And then they had the soccer here in Birmingham, or not here in Birmingham, not in Birmingham right now, but in Birmingham. And I actually went to an Olympic soccer game um, at Legion Field. And even today, when you go to Legion Field in Birmingham, it says, you know, home in the 1996 Summer Olympic Games. And I suspect it will say that until the place is eventually, you know, demolished and torn down. But anyway. <laughs> so that was the last time I was here, it was 26 years ago. And the circumstances have not really changed that much. Like, I'm a little bit older, and I'm married, but I'm still dealing with, like, a flooded bathroom. just like that I'm home
home from vacation. My wife and I got back into town about uh, about four hours ago or so. And began the long, arduous process of settling back in, which is something that um, you try not to think about. You know, when you go on vacation, you try to put it out of your mind and just enjoy yourself. But, you know, a day or so before you come back home, you start to think about about everything that you have to get back into, you know. We had to go pick up the dogs from the parents. You know, they could not keep them another night, so we had to go get uh, get Izzy and Zoe, the Basset Hounds, and we had to go to the grocery store because we had, like, nothing to eat here. We, we, uh, we came home. We had to, like, unpack. I had to do laundry because I had, like, uh, really no clean clothes to wear that were, like, suitable for lounging around. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, w- it was a lot. I just kind of had to think of the whole thing in phases. You know, like, phase one, come into town. Phase two, pick up the pets, the dogs. Phase three, unpack. Phase four, go to the liquor store because I have no liquor. And I'm definitely going to want to watch some whiskey later. <laughs> you know, phase five take a shower anyway yeah we uh we kind of left amelia island like we were evacuating today as a matter of fact uh you know there you know in in florida you, you follow highways uh that just all say evacuation routes you know in case of hurricane or something like that or tsunami and uh you know we were following the evacuation route today (laughs) just coming back from amelia island i woke up at uh, about seven o'clock this morning i I got virtually no sleep last night um after i came in uh, from recording that little piece of audio you just heard just uh you know could not sleep and uh I, I was just like so irritated by the whole experience, you know, the idea that I had to go next door to the bar and get the guy, the, the, the general manager, you know, to help me out with my sink. And uh, this morning, you know, my wife and I, we decided to, you know, go get breakfast, just like go and sit someplace nice. And we found like a nice little breakfast restaurant and set out there by the lake and uh, as we were there having our eggs and our coffee I get a text and it's Ernie you know the wayward maintenance man the after hours emergency guy saying I'm so sorry you know I I spoke to uh, Lawrence who I guess is the general manager who helped me out last night said I spoke to Lawrence he said everything was resolved Um, I'll try to get you a $50 credit for the inconvenience. (laughs) So, uh, so I, I, you know, there's this whole thing that I, I kind of wrestled with the, this just dilemma of like, I could, 
at nine o'clock when the place opens, when somebody is actually there at the, at the hotel, I can call them and, you know, demand not $50 back, but my entire fee, because it just was the whole episode really did soil the experience of staying at that hotel. But I just decided not to. I just decided, like, listen, if they can get me the $50 back, whatever. But, I mean, at the same time, I I may feel completely differently tomorrow. I mean, it's been a long day, and I may wake up tomorrow just wanting justice, you know. And, I mean, I worked hard to, uh, you know, accumulate the points to uh, get that hotel, and I just basically kind of wasted them on, like, a... On, a, on an inn that was just run improperly. And so I, I really don't know. But at the same time, I kind of just want to put the whole episode behind me and just think about the good times we had on vacation. And we did have some good times. We did have some good times on this vacation. I'm not going to lie. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah, we, we got out of there so quickly today that it kind of, uh, it, it did spoil one last thing that I wanted to do on vacation. I wanted to go to a Denny's restaurant for breakfast. And um, not because I really like Denny's. I, in fact, I've, I never eat there ever. All the Denny's restaurants in the world can close down tomorrow and I wouldn't know. You know, Denny's is like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like IHOP or Waffle House. Uh, you know, just these places that have a big, just disgusting menu of of cholesterol and starches and all that. And Their signature dish is called the Grand Slam Breakfast, which is so gross. The way that sounds. Um, I don't think of baseball when I think of the Grand Slam breakfast. Um, but it was an inside joke, though. That's why I wanted to go to Denny's. It was an inside joke with my family. Because um, to this day, when my family and I, we talk about Amelia Island, Florida, you know, we don't talk about the beach or the pool or sitting there, you know, at, at the TV in front of the TV watching like Wimbledon or, or Nick at night, you know, watching like Mr. Ed and the Mary Tyler Moore show and all that. Uh, we talk about Denny's and, and this is because, uh, well, they talk about Denny's and, and me climbing out of the window onto the first floor. But anyway, I talked about that already. Uh, yeah. When we, when we came down to Amelia Island, Florida, like that first day from Birmingham, we uh, we were really hungry, and it was very late. And I'm sure my parents just were not happy with, like, a carload of, you know, kids who were starving. And so we pulled into the first place. My dad pulled into the first halfway decent-looking play, place, which was a Denny's. And we went to Denny's just kind of, eh, no, we don't want to eat Denny's, you know. And my parents are you know, kind of looking for something a little bit better, more classy, I guess. I don't know. And we eat at Denny's and we cannot stop talking about how good that meal was. 
And I think it's just because we're so hungry. You know, when you're when you're that hungry and when you've been in the car for eight hours, not really eating much. Um, you know, anything is great. So Denny's at like nine o'clock in the evening was just a, a godsend to us. And, and so we we love Denny's. And so we we get to our hotel and we check in and we go on up and I all that. I do my thing where I climb out the window and and the next day we all wake up and my dad goes off to his conference because, you know, as I said before, he was there for work. And so my mom is left with, you know, three kids to take care of and entertain for the day. And uh, the first decision of many that she has to make that day is, you know, where, which, what do we need to do to, for breakfast? And I guess there's like hotel, there, there's like restaurants on the property. But ultimately what she decides to do and what we are totally okay with is she says, let's just go back to Denny's. And we're like, Yay! So my mom piled us into the, uh, into the minivan and we start looking for the Stinnies. And of course this is 1995. It's not like this is a million years ago, but, but you know, this is in the days before, you know, smartphones and GPS and Tom Toms and all that stuff. And my mom just has like her memory to go on to get us back to, you know, Denny's. And it seems pretty obvious, like on an Island, most islands, they just have like a straightaway and you get on it and you basically just retrace your steps and go, you know, several miles back the way you came and you, you should hit like a Denny's and, uh, we disembark from the hotel at about nine thirty in the morning thinking that we're going to be back at Denny's and maybe like, you know, 30 minutes or so. And meanwhile, we're, pla- we're passing probably like all these perfectly reasonable, breakfast places along the way that serve the exact same meal um just with a different name and you know 10 o'clock comes and my mom doesn't see the denny's and we're at the place where we think it should be and you know there's just no denny's (laughs) and uh she turns around and retraces her steps and maybe this time she takes a right instead of going straight ahead no denny's take a left, retrace your steps, go back more, you know, like another five miles or so, no Denny's. Before you know it, it's 10 30, 11 o'clock. And finally 11 30, we find this Denny's, you know, things look a lot differently in the light of day uh, than they do at like nine o'clock at night. And so by this time, you know, I'm sure that we're just all insufferable in the back seat. And my mom is tired and she's worn down and we pull into the parking lot of this Denny's like we've just kind of like, you know, traipsed in from the desert. And, uh, the poor waitress, like we go into the Denny's and my mom goes up to the hostess and the hostess has like a big smile on her face. Like, hello, can I treat you to a grand slam breakfast today? And my mom says, how dare We have been looking for this restaurant for the last two and a half hours. We want a table right now. <laughs> um, and that's what we talk about to this day. So I really wanted to 
find this Denny's, and, and that is the thing about these places is that, you know, these chain restaurants, they stay open for years. So 26 years later, I'm probably sure that this, you know, Denny's is probably still around. Um, but again, my, my wife and I just want to get out of there so bad. And I have no time for inside jokes. So, um, but I do, I do just think about that memory. It's like the last time that I was, uh, leaving this island, it was in distress. Again, I don't think I'm ever coming back to this Amelia Island ever again. Um, in Florida, I just remember after that episode with, with, with the Denny's, my, my mom took us back to the hotel room and, you know, we were going to go to the beach and all that, but we just like kind of, you know, collapsed on the bed and watched Wimbledon and watched, uh, tennis. So, <laughs> Yeah. So. But yeah, it's uh Friday night here and it's uh crazy to think, you know, we we went, we went to uh Savannah. We left for Savannah on Monday. Uh, somebody's listening to the doors out there. We're on the road. I was listening to the doors really loudly. God dang, it's loud. Yeah. So, uh, Savannah, I kind of think of as like uh, my second city in a way. I think I've probably visited Savannah, Georgia. Uh, probably more than any other American city. Um, Washington, D.C., I think, comes close. I've been to Washington, D.C. many times, but Savannah, Georgia, I've been to a lot, especially since I've... Um, well, the first time I ever went there was with my wife because uh, um, my mother-in-law lives there. And, you know, she's set up a nice life for herself out there, and, uh, you know, she does a lot of work. She's an acting teacher, and she kind of has this... Um, very tight knit network of actors that she works with over there. And, uh, she just kind of knows everybody. Um, my mother-in-law, G Marie. And, uh, really this week was just kind of like a week of her just plugging connections to get us to do really cool things. And I really do have to give her a lot of credit. Um, normally when my wife and I go on vacation, whether it be to like Chicago or Niagara Falls or Wisconsin, you know, we're just kind of planning everything that we do, um, day to day. But whenever you go to Savannah, you know, G Marie just kind of plans everything for you. And it, it is, it is kind of nice to have somebody else just like be your concierge and tell you, you know. And it's not like she's forcing us to do these things, but we're very grateful to have her help. And and we've definitely, you know, just turned her down a few times. Like, no, we think we'd rather do this. And I really do appreciate it. But, you know, but, but we go uh, to Savannah and uh, she sets us up in this really nice uh, bed and breakfast, which, yes, is like the oldest operating bed and breakfast in Savannah. Only the plumbing is better there. 
it's called uh yeah it's just called the savannah bed and breakfast it's right there in chatham square you know and uh she sets us up in this place for three nights and uh it's just beautiful she she uh does it it's a birthday present for my wife who uh who just had her birthday a couple weeks ago so this is like a belated present um my wife was uh working on her birthday so uh, this is the first time we could get away so yeah we went to this nice savannah uh, bed and breakfast and uh you know got this nice room and uh had this gigantic porch so each night after we would do our thing we would come home and uh you know, Jessica joined me one night, but most of the, most of the time I just, you know, sit outside on the, you know, back porch and, uh, you know, and I, I had the porch completely to myself. Nobody else came out at night. Um, I guess because it was so humid, but, uh, I don't know. You're just in Savannah and it's your vacation. I never understand people who just want to like go in to their hotel at the end of the day. You know, I just, I love being outside, especially at night after a long day. And, uh, you know, having like some whiskey and, you know, I, I bought, uh, some cigars I bought some really nice pipe tobacco. So just sitting out there each night, just, uh, enjoying the evening, even though it was very humid, you know, so But yeah, we, we just uh, enjoyed, most of all, just walking around the streets of Savannah. It's just an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful city. Probably, It's probably like the most beautiful planned city that I've ever visited. Um, in terms of just like, in the 1950s, I think the place was essentially a slum. Um, a lot of the historic buildings, you know, that have been there since like, some of them since the 1700s had just been completely, you know, forgotten. And uh, they've just fallen into a state of disrepair. And then um, people started stepping in and just, you know, chipping in and buying all these old buildings and restoring them bit by bit. And now it's just got one of the most um, well-preserved historic districts in America, if not the world. Um one of the oldest buildings in the entire country that's still standing is in Savannah. It's the pirates Inn or the pirate house. Um, it's been there since 1680, something like that. And I've had, uh, I've had dinner in it. It's a, it's a beautiful place. I'm sure it looks nothing like it used to, but, um, it's actually mentioned in Robert Louis Stevenson's treasure Island. It's the, uh, house where the pirate, comes from at the beginning of the novel who ends up giving the map uh to the protagonist of how to get to treasure island so billy bones or whatever his name is it's been years since i've read treasure island but uh well yeah you you can't really walk anywhere in savannah go into any shop or talk to anyone without one thing inevitably being mentioned and that's the book that was later t turned into the movie that was directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I really don't know of any other book in the history of books that has probably done more for one city's tourism industry 
than Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And indeed, when you like look for, you know, a tour to go on in Savannah, which, you know, you, you, you kind of have to be a tourist in this place. It's just too nice. You pass too many cool things not to have the desire to have walk around with somebody who can interpret it all for you. You know, everything is kind of named after Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil tour. You know, there's the um, there's the John Burt tour. I think that's how you say his name. He's the guy who wrote the book. Uh, there's the Beyond Good and Evil tour. There's the Jim Williams tour, you know. And it's just everything has to do with this book that was uh, published in 1994. And, you know, individual real-life people who made their way into that book um, are celebrities in their own right, specifically the uh, Lady Chablis, the uh, transgender um, drag performer who's featured heavily in that book. And, you know, she just died a few years ago. Um, but yeah, she, I mean, it's like you go all over the place and you see pictures of her, you see her autobiography in every single store. You know, she became a huge, not just local celebrity, but national celebrity after the publication of that book. And I believe she actually played herself in the movie that came out in 1997. So, like, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and I've read it once, I'm actually in the middle of reading it a second time, um, is a book about Savannah. It started as a book just about kind of the local color and all the crazy characters, crazy kooky characters who live in Savannah. You know, that's that's how the author started out writing the book, is that he started moving down to Savannah like living there and splitting his time between Savannah and New York city, where he was a, you know, an editor, I think for Esquire magazine. And he just came down and just found all these, you know, goofy characters. I think that like John Cusack who plays him in the movie describes Savannah as like gone with the wind on mescaline. And it's kind of like that, you know, it's like this weird Southern city, but doesn't really follow a lot of Southern traditions, or I guess it does. It has like these, this you know local savannah local southern color but all the people are just slightly off kilter you know like there's the inventor who claims that he's going to poison savannah's water supply because he has access to a very highly volatile poison and he anesthetizes flies and ties strings to them and has them swarm around him uh, his neck, he like ties the strings to his, the, the, his coat. <laughs> um, you know, and there's like people like, uh, Joe and who this guy named Joe, who always like moves from house to house. He's basically like a glorified squatter. Every time somebody goes out of town, he basically moves into their house and hijacks the electricity of the house next door, things like that. And he has like all these creditors in town chasing him, but they all love him so much because he's, he's just like this charismatic Southern gentleman, you know? So, you know, it's all, it's all well and good. And, you know, I think that he could have had a very interesting book if it, you know, even if it weren't for what really happened that made the book, you know, a national bestseller for like four years straight and became this huge movie directed by Clint Eastwood 
starring like John Cusack and Kevin Spacey, who I know has been like, you know, canceled now. But anyway. Uh, so what happened was that there was this uh, man named Jim Williams, who was indeed one of the you know, people who, beginning in the 1950s, was fighting for the preservation of all of Savannah's historic district and all the old buildings that had fallen into disrepair and dilapidation. And he was new money, which was against the grain in Savannah. Savannah's a very old money city. You know, the people who have had their money have been wealthy for generations. And Jim Williams seemed to come out of poverty uh, from this small town in Georgia called Vidalia. And he started as a young child, like flipping antiques. You know, antiques is very, you know, flipping antiques is very in vogue now. You know, you get something that nobody really has any use for, you restore it, and then suddenly you sell it for a huge profit. Uh, Jim Williams was doing that when he was a kid. And so by the time he was in his 20s and 30s, he was a millionaire, and he moved to Savannah and took up the uh, prospect of not only flipping antiques from all over the world, but also uh, buying up houses in Savannah, and uh and restoring them and two of the most famous ones were the one the the house where he lived called uh, the mercer which was now called the mercer williams house um a lot of houses have that hyphenate there um to signify who the original owner was and to signify who like the most famous or important owner was i guess um and, of course, Williams was Jim Williams, but uh, the Mercer was the great-grandfather of Johnny Mercer, the uh, the songwriter, who, of course, wrote many, many songs, like Moon River, and one of my great songs, one of my favorite songs, like the Long, Good, the Long Goodbye, from one of my favorite Robert Altman movies, you know, it's the Long Goodbye, and it happens every day. Yeah. So Johnny Mercer, um, his great-grandfather never actually lived in the house. That's like a, a lot of people misunderstand that he built the house, but never got to live in it because of the civil war kind of took him away from it. And I think he died before he could take up residence. But anyway, so Jim Williams bought this house and fixed it up. And now it's like a beautiful ornate house, kind of the, uh, the at the heart of the historic district. You can take a tour of it. And of course, you know, see all the nice, you know, antiques and all that that he took up and restored and see the place as it was when he actually, you know, when he died. But a lot of people like to tour the house because of what happened there. Um, that really takes up the, the, the bulk of the novel uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. But I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, the other house that he bought and fixed up is called the Pink House or the old pink house, which is just one big pink house, but it's beautiful and it's got a restaurant in it. And, uh, and that's where, uh, my mother-in-law took us to eat the other night on our last night, Savannah. So anyway, okay. So, so, so what happened in the Mercer Williams house? Okay. So there was this, uh, young, young stud named, uh, Danny Hansford. And Danny Hansford was like one of these good old boys, Southern rednecks who was shot dead in the Mercer Williams house by none other than Jim Williams. 
They were apparently in the middle of a big argument. What they were arguing about, nobody really knows. But by the end of it, Danny Hansford was dead, and Jim Williams was holding the gun, claiming that it was self-defense. And so Jim Williams was arrested and uh, tried. And by the end of the whole saga, uh, Jim Williams had been through four different separate murder trials in four different districts and was eventually exonerated on the grounds of self-defense. You know, Georgia is one of these like classic Southern stand your ground states. You know, if you go into somebody's house yelling and screaming and threatening violence and you get shot nine times out of 10, a jury is going to like, you know, probably find you innocent or not guilty. Right. So, and that's what the book is about. You know, the book is about the trial. Of course, the movie condenses it all down into one trial, but I think what's most fascinating about the entire case is that it was, you know, four separate trials, the most of any other murder trial in Georgia history. So, um, you know, it was quite a landmark, and Jim Williams was eventually found not guilty. Um, but by the end of it, you know, of course, it... What what's fascinating about the trial is that it brought out a lot of Savannah's kind of hidden prejudices, uh, namely against homosexuals. You know, Savannah is kind of thought to be a cradle of progressivism in an otherwise very conservative state. Um, but the jury kept on, you know, coming back is essentially finding the homosexual nature of Jim Williams' relationship with Danny Hansford problematic you know and just not being able to square themselves with the fact that they were you know letting a known homosexual off of a murder rap so so it's a very interesting cultural study of a town that purports to be very progressive and ahead of its time when in fact it's really not you know so But yeah, the, uh, the 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 novel, you know, the nonfiction novel is very good. It came out in 1994, and it uh, is really responsible for not just bringing Savannah to international attention, uh, but reviving it as just one of the premier tourist destinations in the South. And today, when you go there, um, there are there's a ton of tourism. You can't go five seconds without seeing a trolley driving by, you know, the Mercer Williams house or seeing like, you know, namely like a ghost tour there, you know, are a ton of ghost tours because Savannah is said time and time and again by paranormal investigators to be the most haunted, you know, town in the entire country. And I have no idea how they, how they rank these things, you know, but the people believe that Savannah is very haunted uh, namely because it's, you know, one of the oldest cities in the United States. Um, and the town has suffered, you know, numerous massive tragedies throughout its, you know, 400 year old, 400 year history. Um, namely several fires, you know, it actually managed to escape the civil war fairly unharmed. And it's actually kind of a funny story because, like, you know, during, you know, when General Sherman came down from the north to burn Atlanta and basically just tear ass through the south, 
you know, eventually coming to my hometown of Birmingham and burning down all the iron furnaces and everything, you know, they went to Savannah with the intention of burning the place to the ground because it was a major, you know, port for the Confederacy. It was an incredibly strategic area, you know, for them to, uh, you know, ship supplies back and forth and all that. And the founders of Savannah cared so much about their town that they essentially, you know, convinced the military there to ride out to the edge of town and confront Sherman's troops and basically saying, like, listen, we'll surrender unconditionally. Just do not burn everything that we've worked for to the ground. And, And I guess, like, probably back in the day that was a controversial decision because that's not a very manly stance. You know, you're supposed to stay and fight right but uh no they they really cared about what they had there in savannah they it was a very special place and so uh you know the yankees agreed they're like okay fine just let us take over your town and uh, we we won't touch a thing so they came down right but no like mostly you know there were a lot of fires but you know just um a lot of death um savannah was a notoriously violent town, a very criminally violent town. Um, they have these tunnels underneath river street, which today is like the really big tourist thoroughfare in Savannah where all of the, uh, you know, fudge shops and Christmas tree shops and, uh, the novelty t-shirt shops are. Um, where you can go if you don't really want to learn anything. You just want to, like, eat dribbly food and say that you visited Savannah. But underneath River Street are a bunch of tunnels, and I guess back in the pirate days, the the, the pirates would kind of, like, run the scam where, you know, they would bring uh, they would bring unsuspecting people into the bars and give them a lot to drink, and then they would, like, uh, poison them, essentially. And when the drinkers were, you know, woke up, they would be on the ship. They would be on like a pirate ship. They would be slaves. And that's called being Shanghai'd. So I guess it comes from like the Far East or something. But yeah, the most notable thing, though, is when you walk around in Savannah, you're walking around. The streets are very uneven and you're walking over bumps constantly. You know specifically past cemeteries and that's because like the cemeteries the gates of the cemeteries are really just there for like decorative purposes (laughs) really the entire town is a cemetery it's it's built on top of just graves there's people are buried everywhere in savannah and so that's why people say that it's very haunted you know but so i don't know again like i was saying last night i i don't really believe in ghosts um but I also, at the same time, I don't know, I kind of think of it as, like, my belief in God. Like, I, I you know, I'm not an atheist. I, I, I think I am an agnostic. I think that there are things that are going on in this world that are just beyond our understanding. There are parallel dimensions. There are parallel beings. Um, you know, call them time travelers. Call them God. I don't know. Call them ghosts. I don't want to piss them off, you know, so I, I just kind of try to maintain my respect you know like i know that i talk against religion quite a lot especially on a show on a podcast that i did a couple weeks ago 
uh, called Skip the Preach and Go to the Beach. Um, but primarily, like, I'm not really against God if he or she or it does exist. I'm just against the jerk-offs that represent him. I don't like those people <laughs> really that much at all. I mean, they're just kind of... They're, they're just kind of a drag, okay? Same kind of goes for, like, people who believe in ghosts, like, and, and really try to make contact with ghosts. Like, it's not that I, I necessarily am denying the existence of ghosts. They may exist or they may not exist. It's like just these people who go into these places and try to make contact with them really bug me. They bother me quite a lot, you know. But I am curious and I'm, I'm going to maintain an open mind. So, you know, whenever I go to Savannah with my wife, I do go on ghost tours because my wife really likes this stuff. And, you know, my wife and I, we, we really do like, you know, horror movies and we like ghost stories and things like that. Things that kind of send a chill up your spine. You know, I, lo I like that stuff. It, it, it's, it's entertaining, right? Even though I don't necessarily believe in it. So we do go on these ghost tours and, uh, we went on one the other night to this place called the Sorrel weed house, which is said to be, you know, like the most haunted, you know, location in Savannah, which is supposed to imply, you know, this is the most haunted place in the most haunted place in the world or in the United States. Okay. So, so it's like, if you're going to see activity, you're going to see it here, right? And, you know, this is actually the uh, second time we've gone on this tour. We, my wife and I went, um, the last time we went to Savannah about three years ago, or was it four years ago? Yeah, I think it was four years ago. We went to this place called the Sorrel Weed House. And we like this place because it's the only tour that you can do in Savannah, a ghost tour, that's not like taking you around on a trolley or you're not walking around from like bar to bar buying a bunch of beer. You know, it's like they do these pub crawls, these haunted pub crawls. You know, it's just like this one place that gives you pretty good access to just, even if you don't believe in the ghost, it's like a really amazing house. I mean, it was built in the 1830s. And uh, it's got, you know, period furniture. I don't know if it's orig original furniture or not, but it's just a really cool house to walk through. And it's always stuck in my mind and it's always something that I've wanted to do. Um, again, is walk through the Sorrel Weed House in Savannah, Georgia. So, you know, yeah, so we, we go through this house, and uh, and this time I bring my recorder. I actually recorded the entire hour-long tour, which I will, uh, I think I'll play that. Like, once I'm done talking and, and all that, I'll, I'll put it on here as kind of a, a bonus podcast on this on this recording. It'll be like the B side. So you can listen to it um, because it is a very entertaining tour and they do encourage people to bring recordings because or recorders because they want to try to capture. They want them to try and capture like EVPs, you know, these electronic voice phenomenon. The idea that if you've got a recorder and there are things that you cannot hear with the naked ear, you know, there's something that your recorder or your your phone or your camera will be able to pick up. So they encourage it. And they want you to release it. So I'll release it just for entertainment purposes, but, you know, maybe you can hear it. And I have not heard the recording yet, 
So I don't know if something will, you know, show up if like a ghost will start like talking. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I will say, though, that the first time that my wife and I ever went to Savannah, Georgia, back in 2013, we did go on like a haunted pub crawl. And uh, we uh, it's one of these things where you show up at a bar and they they give you a beer and then you go to like another bar and they give you another beer. You go to another bar, another beer. And by the end of it, you're just like dying because it's like 100 degrees with like 90 percent humidity. And you're drunk and you're just sweating alcohol. And by that time, you will be seeing ghosts, right? I think that's what they're hoping. But anyway. But, you know, yeah, my wife and I did go on this tour back in 2013. And I had my recorder. And I was listening back to the audio the, the next day. And I heard something on there that I genuinely could not explain. I'm not saying it was a ghost but it was an anomaly. Okay. And I've played it on this podcast on the midnight citizen show several times and I'll play it for you here now. So I'm going to stop talking and let you hear it. This is from February of 2013 on an episode called supposedly haunted Savannah. So you can hear it now and I'm going to light my cigar, relight my cigar. Please, sir. No. I'm going to Photoshop that in early. Do it. With your arm around it. <laughs> Would you mind? I'm sure all those ghosts are really pissed off that they have to stay in this... Entertain. Well, they have to stay in this big room full of kegs of beer, so it's like a constant tease mm-hmm. for the rest of their eternal lives, or our mortal, yeah, their eternal lives. No. Okay, so I don't know what that sounded like to you, but it just sounded like like somebody was breathing into my microphone. And I remember very specifically when I was recording that and where I, in, in what position I was holding my recorder. So we were in the Moon River Brewing Company, which is on Bay Street, which is uh, the street that runs parallel to River Street, the major, as I said, tourist thoroughfare in Savannah. And, you know, it's a, it's a bar, but it's been many, many things in its 180-year history. Like, it was a hospital at one point that housed both, you know, Confederate and Yankee soldiers during World War, or the Civil War. Uh, it's been like a, a doctor's office and things like that. But we were upstairs at the bar and uh, in a place where they, like, kick, they keep all the kegs and, and, all the, and all that, and it's basically just storage. It's very hot and it's very musty up there. And we went into this one area where there's just a bunch of like empty kegs. And our tour guide says, you know, that paranormal investigators believe that this is a uh, 
that this is a nexus, a portal to another world. <laughs> and they say, like, of all the tours I've ever done, you know, this is the most haunted room that I've ever been in. And we're like, again, I don't know how you rank that, but. But yeah, I was in there and I was, they, they were just letting us walk around and I, I was holding my recorder down by my hip and there was nobody else around me except my wife. And she was standing right there to my left and the uh, recorder was on, on the, on my right side. And yeah, it just sounded like somebody was either passing by me or, or there was just like somebody who was just like breathing directly into my, my recorder. So it's creepy. So the last time that I went to the Sorrel Weed House a few years ago, I did not bring a recorder. So this time I did. And yeah, I recorded the whole hour long tour of us walking through the house. And, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting tour. I mean, just for the history of it, because the, uh, the, the, the person who built the house, um, was this guy, um, who uh, they would have like these big parties and, you know, things like that in their house. And there would be this one big room where they would have the banquet. And then they always talk about on the tour, how they would, after dinner was over, they would remove the big banquet table. And then the men would go into one side of the room and the women would go into the other side and they would close the big drawing, the, 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 the big French doors. And they say, you know, in the, in the room where the men are, where the men were, you know, you can always smell like bourbon and tobacco. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And so, uh, the tour guide was always encouraging us, you know, to speak up if we smelled anything out of the ordinary. And at that point, you know, I had this very strong, potent cigar in my bag. I kind of thought about, you know, pulling a prank on people and just pulling it out. <laughs> I didn't do that. So, uh, Anyway, but yeah, the tour guide, you know, also has an iPad and she's going around showing everybody like pictures that previous tour groups have caught of the room. And, uh, there's two pictures that she shows us in particular that just really do whatever you believe, send a chill down your spine. I'm kind of getting like goose flesh just talking about it right now. You know, there's this one picture of like somebody caught you know, this African-American person in the background, in the darkness and in the shadows. And she's wearing like period costuming. And she doesn't look like, you know, anybody in modern days would. So, and then she shows us this other picture. This is the really creepy one. Um, of like this little girl, but she looks like that girl from that movie, the ring, you know, the one who crawls out of the whale, the well, not the whale, the well, you know, the thing with water in it that goes into the ground. You know, the girl has like, you know, on like a white night dress and like her wet black hair is like combed in front of her face. So you don't see her face. It's a really creepy picture, man. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> it really does just make you kind of turn to your surroundings and just really turn your senses on, you know, 
But one of the reasons uh, that I wanted to do this tour again was indeed because of this one picture and what happened when the tour guide from a few years ago showed us this picture because it was on a very dark and stormy night when my wife and I, along with my mother-in-law, went on this tour. And something happened that actually forced my mother-in-law, you know, who's a very strong person. She's not that squeamish. Um, you know, she's an actor and she gets on stage in front of people. I mean, that's, that takes a lot to do. A lot of guts. Forced my mother-in-law to leave the group. So as I said, it's a dark and stormy night in our tour guide, and he, he announces that, you know, it is like his, you know, first week working at this place. He shows us this picture of the girl from the ring. And he's trying to, like, recreate the picture. He says... I need two volunteers to come and stand in front of this when this mirror. There's a gigantic mirror that looks over on the entire, you know, room. I need two volunteers to stand in front of this mirror. And we're going to try and recreate this picture. So my wife raises her hand. She's she along with another girl in the room on our tour group is uh you know, they're the two volunteers and they go and stand in front of this mirror. And he tells, you know, my wife to take a picture of the mirror to see if like, you know, the little girl will appear in front of her. And my wife who is less of a skeptic than I am, you know, is not scared at all stands in front of the mirror. And right as she takes the picture, the lights go off. in the entire room and there's like screaming and everything and I feel like something right next to me like bump onto my onto my onto my person and grab onto my shirt and I'm thinking that it's my wife and then within about 30 seconds the lights come back on and I turn to my right and it's not my wife it's the tour guide the tour guide is holding on to me. He freaks out on his first week on the job. And my wife is standing right there in the middle of the room looking totally unfazed. And my mother-in-law is kind of freaking out next to the tour guide. And so we're just trying to, like, figure out what happened. Because the rest of the tour, I'm kind of thinking, like, oh, obviously they staged this just to scare us or, like, it's the tour guide's first week, so obviously his coworkers are, like, you know, breaking him in, they're hazing him or whatever. And then I get to think about it more and more. No, it is a dark and stormy night. And, uh, you know, there's, like, furniture in this room that's, like, over 100 years old. And they tell you at the beginning of the tour, do not sit on any of the furniture, do not touch anything, it's very old. And then we find out at the end of the tour that it's like, you know, the lights went out on the entire block. So it was a real event. It actually happened. And my mother-in-law asked the tour guide to, uh, to please leave the tour. So anyway. <laughs> but yeah, like anywhere you go in Savannah, though, they just talk about how haunted the place is. And... uh one of my wife and I, you know, my wife and I at the end of each night, whatever we were doing, we just loved to walk around the streets and no matter how humid it was and, you know, it's just a very relaxing, a very lazy city. It's very quiet all the time, even with all the tourism going on. You know, like you always hear the galloping of horses going around, giving people carriage rides and things like that. 
And, you know, around 9 o'clock, most of the tours kind of stop and the, the, the streets just kind of go silent. And uh, you're just walking around this, like, beautiful southern city, just having a good time. Occasionally passing, like, a big group of people and, you know, dads pulling their kids in wagons. The kids in the wagons are, like, on their iPads playing games and things like that. And ahead of these groups of people, these dads and moms and kids, is, you know, some young tour guide who probably goes to, you know, the Savannah College of Art and Design and is paying his tuition by giving people ghost tours, you know, and you're you're always just kind of hearing the same exact things, you know. The Sorrel Weed House is said to be the most haunted house in all of savannah which savannah is supposed to be the haunted most haunted city of all the country so this is the most haunted place in the entire country right here the sorrel weed house Relight my cigar once again. It's tough to, like, have a cigar and podcast because uh, you're talking so much. It's a good way to let a cigar last, though, I'll tell you that much. Hey. I just told the story of your scary uh, encounter with the ghost at the Sorrel Weed House. This time or last time? Last time. Yeah, yeah, that was the good one. That was the good one. Yeah, you didn't quite like it this one. No, I liked this one. Mm-hmm. It was it was totally different. It wasn't spooky, but it was really cute. What did you not like about it this time? That nothing spooky happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was um, there was less atmosphere. Mm-hmm. This less one atmosphere. didn't did didn't you kind of feel that way? I guess so. I mean, I mean, were you still adequately spooked? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I get. I get spooked I got, easily. I, I just got really wrapped up by like the families and the children that were in there who yeah. were all just like, you're the weird adult that actually is here and having fun. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. I forgot to mention that that was a fun part of the tour yeah. is yeah. that, um, there was this little kid who kept on following who like really attached himself to you. Yeah. Cause I don't think his parents were really as interested in the history or the ghost as much as he was. Yeah. His parents and, were cute. Yeah. They, oh, they, they were nice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He he was, the dad was really fascinated by my recorder. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. He kept on saying like, what you got there? <laughs> and they thought it was like actual ghost hunting equipment. They and, did. And they thought I was a ghost hunter. And that's so right. did another girl who was a little bit closer to our age. She was, she yeah. was probably still a full decade younger than us, but... Yeah. Um, but she she thought I was a professional ghost hunter. She did, and I mean she's she because she came and sat on the couch with uh-huh. us, and instead of like hopping up and joining her boyfriend, she did that that thing where like you want to talk to someone, mm-hmm. and so you kind of linger, and and then she started asking about the equipment and. That's things. right. Yeah. yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I'm glad you came out here. Yeah, yeah. and then she yeah. uh, she bolted. She did. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. After you were like, I don't believe in ghosting. <laughs> you really think I scared her off? No, I annoyed I her. I'm joking. I'm okay. teasing you. Okay. I'm right. having a chuckle. I know. Um, I'm gonna laugh. 
Okay. And uh, and then she got up and left, and I started taking pictures around the sofa, and I thought you were still there, and I asked, I was like, what's the little girl's name mm -hmm. who, you know, grabbed your ankles or whatever by the sofa? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I hear just this little voice, Sarah, it's Sarah! <laughs> and, um... And it was the little I, kid. It was the little yeah, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he came over mm -hmm. next to me and started taking pictures and showing me what he got. And, yeah. You know, it was just. Yeah, I, I remember that so um, there were, so there were like two, there was like an extension of the tour that you could take for like a little bit more money. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't really, it was like you left the house and actually got to walk around a little bit more of the right. streets and go to the cemetery, I think, where the Sorrells are buried. Right. Um, and I decided not to do that because I just wanted to kind of like, you know, leave early and just go walk around mm -hmm. and uh i remember the kid like waited next to us I he know. wanted us to come with him and that, i think he was a little distressed when we didn't join i know him. that kind of broke my heart because he purposely like separated from the rest of his entire family and the entire group and just kind of stood yeah. and looked at us and then we i know like, i kind of wish right? they would have given you the option to just go ahead and take you know go go the rest of the tour and you could like you know pay them extra you know when yeah. you got off of it but whatever because i would have done that yeah. yeah but yeah it's okay it was fine we went yeah. and had uh, you know overpriced drinks and and, and then stumbled around for an hour trying to find our hotel and... that's right yeah yeah we got lost it's really easy to get lost in savannah because every single street looks the same Romantic and the gps and has a really hard time finding you <laughs> But we, we ate in, like, office. this bar that was showing Footloose, and we got really wrapped up in watching the movie Footloose. Yeah. And then Even the Goonies. couldn't hear the sound on any of That's it. right. We couldn't. But we knew the words because we've seen that movie so many times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, mm -hmm. I have to go get the pets. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Because it's almost 10. Oh, oh my gosh. Is it really? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, I've totally lost. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to be out here for a little bit longer. And... All right, honey. Okay. It was good. I'm glad that my wife came out here because there's a lot of that tour that I forgot about, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, that's not the only thing we did there, though. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, sound, make it sound like all we did in Savannah was go to ghost tours and I had cigars and we drank. But, yeah. But, yeah, the uh, the major day was uh, Thursday. Thursday, or no, Wednesday. Wednesday was kind of the big day because uh, my mother-in-law set up a bunch of stuff for us to do that day. Uh, we went and rode horses at, like, a horse ranch, which that's not really my scene. I'm not really, like, a horse kind of guy, you know, because they are kind of like big animals, and I think I've had, like, a lifelong fear of horses ever since, you know, Superman got on one when I was a little kid and was thrown off one, and he was paralyzed. So... But my mother-in-law knows somebody, as I said, you know, G. Marie, she knows a lot of people in Savannah, and she's constantly networking with people to try and get, you know, ask them, you know, to do stuff for us. And uh, one of the people that she knows runs a horse ranch for uh, special needs people, like people with Down syndrome and autism. And, you know, kind of the big thing in the last few years in special needs education is uh, equine therapy. You know, and they, you know, it's like apparently horses, like petting horses and riding horses is really good for neuroatypical people. And my brother-in-law, Colin, who was also there with us, he, he was staying with my mother-in-law for a couple of weeks. Uh, Colin is autistic. And so 
my mother-in-law was able to set up a session for Colin to come out and get a private trail ride. And she invited us to join him. So my wife and I went out and got on the horses and uh, had a really nice trail ride outside of Savannah next to Bonaventure Cemetery, which is where Johnny Mercer is buried. And we're riding along the trail and everything, and I'm actually kind of surprised at how well, like, how naturally riding the horse is coming to me. I've only been on a horse a couple of times in my life. The last time was about six years ago. And we're riding around on the trail, and suddenly we come up on this huge tree that looks, like, really familiar. And I'm like, where do I know that tree from? It's like a gigantic oak tree with all the Spanish moss hanging off of it. And uh, it comes up on this clearing. And uh, the lady who's guiding us suddenly says, okay, this is kind of the most famous tree in all Savannah. This is the tree that uh, Forrest and Jenny hung off of in Forrest Gump. And I'm like, all of a sudden, oh, my God, that's right. Like, it's amazing how movies can sometimes, like, build memories for you that don't really exist. They, like, give you artificial memories. Like, I come out to this tree in the middle of nowhere outside of savannah and i just feel like i've been there before and indeed i totally forgot that savannah georgia is where they actually film most of forrest gump even though the movie takes place in alabama they very famously shot it in and around savannah georgia because it looks a lot more like alabama than alabama does or at least the hollywood idea of alabama so we're coming out here and we're seeing this gigantic tree, this oak tree with all this, you know, just beautiful Spanish moss coming off of it. Riding by on horses. It was just a really nice little romantic moment. Very, very cool. So, yeah, after we after we come out with the horses, which um, the only the only real freak out moment that I have with my horse is my horse kept on wanting to like bend down and like eat the grass and every time a horse bends down with you on top of it you go with it you go wherever its head goes so every time it wanted to bend down and eat the grass I would come down and I would like start to lose my balance in the stirrups and I just really did feel like I was about to fall off of the thing and hit my head like, even though I'm wearing a helmet, it's still a pretty scary scene. So, you know, I pull on the reins. And meanwhile, my guide is saying, don't pull too hard, don't pull too hard. And, like, I'm going to yell that. So I'm getting, like, alternate. I don't really know what the sweet spot is. But eventually I get used to it. And, you know, you're supposed to, like, kick the horse to get the thing to move. <laughs> the thing. <laughs> my horse's name was uh, Forrest. Like, and I guess because of the tree, it's named after, you know, the movie Forrest Gump. So, you know, every time you, you know, you're supposed to, you need to go forward because that horse will just stand still. You know, you have to tell the horse to move on or walk on. You have to be like, walk on. Which just feels very awkward because... You know, like, I talk to my dogs all the time, but I'm not used to talking to a horse. And, I'm, and and whenever I talk to my dogs, I can't get them to do anything. 
But when you talk to a horse, like horses really do respond to voice commands. They're used to it. I mean, they're genetically, it's like they, 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 they've evolved that way to respond to human voices. So you can say walk on to it and it will know exactly what you mean, but sometimes you have to sort of set the pace. It's kind of like being in a car and having to set it in gear. So you have to kick the horse. And I felt really weird and odd about that because I don't, I'm not really in the nature of kicking animals. But my tour guide is like, don't be afraid of it. You know, you're the boss. She's a very, like, forceful. Like, there was a point where I almost, like, kind of started to feel very anxious. Like, I, I, I almost felt like I was in the throes of a panic attack at the very beginning because uh, our tour guide was a very forceful person and uh, very annoyed at the fact. I think she thought that my wife and I were experienced riders. And she is used to working with people with autism, so whenever she meets somebody who's neurotypical, like my wife and I, I think she thinks that we're just like masters of everything. Like we can do anything without instruction, which is, you know, not the way that works. <laughs> Being a teacher, I, I definitely know what I'm talking about there. So, uh, but yeah, she was kind of yelling at us initially. She, you know, trying to get us to do things that we weren't used to um so so yeah i like kicked this horse and it took me some time to get used to it she said don't worry about it forest is made out of concrete you can kick them all you want and so finally you know forest was just kind of standing there wanting to eat grass and i finally just like kicked the thing really freaking hard like she wanted me to and he starts running <laughs> i'm like oh my god i'm on a horse i'm going like 15 miles an hour on this horse all of a sudden and my guide is suddenly like oh my god i can't believe you got him to do that i'm like you told me to kick him he's like how hard did you kick him like, what <laughs> so, so i pulled on the reins and got it to slow down she's like that's the best i've seen all day i felt very accomplished with myself so yeah <laughs> Yeah, so after that, after we uh, left Forest, we had some time, so we, we went out to uh, Tybee Island. And Tybee Island is where my wife and I stayed the first time we ever came out to Savannah. It's this beautiful stretch of uh, seashore on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we didn't go to the beach this time. We we went out there. We decided to go to Fort Pulaski, which is a national monument. It's 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 run by the uh, National Park Service. And uh, you know we've driven by Fort Pulaski several times. We've never gone. So and uh, you know we end up going to this. Uh, it's basically just this giant. I don't know, you know, forts, if you've ever been to them, are basically just big brick walls with a big green space between them. But, I mean, it's this one was, was a little bit different because um, it does have this very fascinating story. The, 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 the place was built after, 18, after the War of 1812. 
you know, the United States was uh, kind of deciding that, you know, if we ever get invaded by the French again, we need to do something about it. So they built this gigantic, you know, fort to, uh, to defend themselves against French invaders. And somehow it took them more than 60 years to build, or 50, 40, 50 years to build. And by the time they finished the thing, it was 1860. And so before the federal government could take control of the fort that they had built, they had to take it back. The South suddenly had control of Fort Pulaski. And uh, they had it for something like two years before the the, 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 uh, federal troops finally took it over. It took them about 30 hours to uh, take control of the fort. And then they had it, and basically after the federal troops had it, there was really nothing for them to do at the fort. You know, they had used it to do what they needed to do, which was close down uh, the South's supply chain of armaments. And so basically they just kind of waited out the rest of the war there, (laughs) the Yankees. And uh, when the Civil War ended, there was really no other need for the Ford. They were pretty, they were, they weren't really afraid that we were going to get, you know, invade, invaded by the French at that point or anybody else for that matter. Uh, so pretty much as soon as the thing got built, it was really only used for a couple of years. And then after the civil war, it became a national monument. It's been a national monument pretty much. It was basically built to just be a monument. Um, so it was a beautiful place. You know, my wife and I, we walked around the entire perimeter upstairs and down. The upstairs had all these cannons on it that looked out onto the sea and everything. And what was really fascinating is there was all this amazing history around us. But people weren't really concerned about that. What they really loved was there was a, a fig tree <laughs> in like the southeast corner of the uh, of the fort. And you could go up and pick your figs. And everybody just got so excited about this. You know, there's a little sign that says, like, you know, only pick a fig if you intend to eat it. You know, be a good steward. And I had never eaten a fresh fig before. And I decided to have one, and before long, I didn't care about the history anymore. I was just eating figs. So, you know. So, yeah. And then that night, you know, we uh, we went out to eat at the Pink House. And once again, my mother-in-law working her connections. You know, this is a place that uh, has two restaurants in it. You know, one is upstairs, one is downstairs in the cellar. And again, it's a very historic building uh, restored by Jim Williams in the 1950s. But the tavern, you have to walk downstairs to get into it, and it's like this very dimly lit room. And we go in, and uh, there's a friend of my mother-in-law's who's playing the piano. He's like the house musician. And he comes in once a week, and he plays all the standards of, you know, kind of the, he plays, you know, the Piano Man by Billy Joel. When we were walking in there, he was playing Ophelia. 
which I don't know who originally recorded Ophelia. But uh, I always knew about it from uh, the band's last waltz concert. But, but yeah, it was it was just a really nice atmosphere, and we go down there and uh, very dimly lit and sit down with a couple of friends of my mom's. One of the uh, women is, uh, or the the woman that is is there is the it's a husband and wife. The wife is like a student of my mom's, even though she's my mom's age, but she takes acting classes with my with with my mother-in-law sorry and uh her husband who's there his name's mike like me it's a good name so we bond over that for a while (laughs) it's a common name but we bond over it he's a retired detective from chicago so i'm sitting there having having dinner with uh an acting student of my mother-in-law's and a retired detective from chicago and uh you know, they're they're just like these gypsies. You know, they've been all over the country. They used to live in California together, and they've been out in Savannah ever since uh, they were t- he retired back in uh, something like 2001. And, uh, yeah, we're just, like, having dinner there, like, listening to uh, G. Marie's friend Kenny play the piano. And all the while I'm looking around this place, and I'm just like, this is just a beautiful i just wonder what the history of this place is turns out like it was a revolutionary war headquarters um of the continental army like they sat in this area in this very room next to the gigantic fireplace where i was eating my 58 dollar steak just planning the revolutionary war fascinating one point I had to get up and excuse myself and go to the bathroom and somebody, I can't remember who it was, you know, said, well, when you go in there, you know, thank Mr. Bartleby. I'm like, who's Mr. Bartleby? And he's like, Oh, he's the ghost that haunts the bathroom. (laughs) It's like on that pub crawl that we did a few years ago. You know, we, we we start out at the sixpence pub and i excuse myself at one point to go to the bathroom and you know they tell me to uh whenever i look in the mirror you know just give a good long stare because there's supposed to be like a ghost that looks back out at you which just scared me half to death and of all the beer that i had to drink that night i don't think i you know peed until we got back to our hotel on tybee island At that point, I was just convinced that every single bathroom in Savannah, Georgia, is haunted. That's my mom. <laughs> 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 
So yeah, here I am now in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a Friday night. As my wife just reminded me, around ten thirty, my my complete sense of time is off right now, as it always is after a big vacation. You know, we weren't out of town thirty minutes on Monday before I completely forgot what day of the week it was. You know, because Mondays, like even during the summer, you know, I'm used to like doing things, being busy, you know, during the summer I teach summer camp or whatever. I have projects that I work on. You know, Monday is typically a very busy, stressful day. But there I am going on vacation, and now here I am on a Friday night, and it's pretty much the same as every other Friday night. You know, I'm out here in the podcast alley, you know, having a cigar. The rain has stopped. It was raining pretty heavily earlier. Yeah, I would say, you know, even though last night was uh, kind of a an anxious adventure, you know, it's just like the last time I went to Amelia Island 26 years ago with a hotel room that flooded so badly we had to change rooms and searching high and low for a Grand Slam breakfast and climbing out of the second floor balcony down to the first floor. I had to ask my mom, by the way, why did I do that? (laughs) And she said, because there was a cat down there that you really wanted to pet. So it wasn't just because I could, it's because I just really wanted to pet a cat, apparently. Um, Yeah, I remember that 26 years later, and I think, like, you know, 26 years later, (laughs) 26 years from tonight, you know, I will probably remember, you know, I may remember the, uh, the ghost tour and the horseback ride and the pink house and Fort Pulaski, all the things that went right. But I will most likely first remember searching for a plunger in a huge empty hotel that resembled The Shining. Walking into a big dark bar and restaurant, expecting to find Lloyd the bartender. offering me a whiskey. 
keep your eyes open.